Hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Now, how many of you will go home today and tape deodorant sticks over the vent covers in your house? Well, I can't say that I'm going to do that, but I am excited to begin this Life Hacks series. And this phrase, Life Hacks, it's become popular over the last 10 years or so, but really, we've always appreciated unexpected solutions to everyday problems. Years ago, when I was in college, I had this friend named Chris Jefferson, and one night we were with a group eating out at some restaurant, and I had one of those glass ketchup bottles, and I was having trouble getting anything to come out. My friend Chris said, let me see that. So he took that bottle, and then he took two fingers, and he hit the neck of the bottle down on his fingers three times like this, bump, 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 and then all of a sudden, ketchup just started flowing out. I was amazed. Now, that particular life hack isn't quite as useful anymore since most restaurants have gone to those plastic squeeze bottles for ketchup, but back in the old days, that was a pretty cool trick. And over the next few weeks, we'll mention several life hacks that may help you in in your garage or your kitchen, but I'm sure you know, that's not the point of this series. We're not here to give out helpful hints for trivial problems. We're here to look at God's Word see what He has to say about the bigger issues in life. And throughout this series, we'll encounter a very practical truth. Life works better when you do things God's way. That's that's it. And we're going to come back to this phrase repeatedly during this series. So, I, I want all of us to say this out loud together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Life works better when you do things God's way. Now, that statement may seem basic or simplistic to some of you, but don't forget, a life hack is an unexpected solution to an everyday problem. And sometimes, God's instructions seem counterintuitive to us. He tells us to do things that we may not have thought of ourselves. He tells us to do things that don't necessarily make sense to us. But I guarantee you that God's instructions are always for our own good. His way is better than our way every time. And why is that true? Why is God's way better than our way? Well, it's because God is the one who designed and created this world. So it only makes sense that He has a much better idea of what works best. But we don't always know, do we? Sometimes we're completely clueless. In the past, I've shared some stories from my single days, and some of you know this was kind of a sad time in my life. This week, I remembered yet another unfortunate episode. Uh, Over 20 years ago now, I was living in this upstairs apartment by myself. I didn't have any land of my own, but I did have a flower box that sat on the railing outside my door. Now, this is not an actual picture, but it gives you an idea of what I'm talking about. Now, when I moved into this apartment, I really wasn't interested in growing flowers at the time. That didn't seem very manly to me. But I did like the idea of having a garden and growing my own food. So, you know what I did? I planted a very short row of sweet corn in that flower box. (laughs) I didn't do any research. I didn't ask anyone how much soil you needed or anything like that. I just planted my corn. Now, like I said a minute ago, God has designed this world in a certain way. And one part of His design is 
tall growing sweet corn should not be planted in a flower box. So guess what I ended up with? I did grow some plants, but they ended up being about this tall. And there were some ears of corn on those plants, but they were tiny, micro-sized little things. They were totally inedible. So I failed in this goal of growing my own food. And why did I fail? Because life works better when you do things God's way. If He designed a plant to have a certain amount of soil and a certain amount of nutrients and sunlight, well, you better give your plant the right environment if you want it to thrive. Now, I do have to point out, following God's design does not guarantee the results you're looking for. You can do a perfect job of planting and caring for your corn, and it's possible that your crop may be destroyed by a late summer hailstorm. That sort of thing does happen, but the principle is still valid. Life works better when you do things God's way. Now, this principle shows up literally all over the Bible, but in this series, we're going to use 3 John as our jumping-off point. Now, 3 John is very close to the end of the Bible. It's way in the back. It also happens to be the shortest book in the Bible. It's only one chapter, just 14 verses. But in these few verses, John gives us a few life hacks that will make our lives better. Now, today, we're, we're going to read just the first four verses of 3 John. And let's go ahead and see what we find there, and then we'll talk about it. Here we go. The book of 3 John, starting with verse 1. John writes, The elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So you can probably tell we're reading a personal letter here, aren't we? The letter is written by someone who calls himself the elder, and it's addressed to his dear friend, Gaius. So first, who is the elder? Well, that's John himself. And we need to know which John this is. There are several men named John in the Bible. There's John the Baptist and John Mark. But this letter is written by John the Apostle, the close friend and disciple of Jesus. And John is writing as an older man, possibly in his 80s. He's already spent decades in ministry, leading people to Jesus and helping churches grow. John met Gaius sometime during these years of ministry, and it seems like John loves this younger man like a son. John is especially grateful that Gaius has remained faithful since the last time they were together. That's why we get that very personal statement from John in verse 4. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's the verse we're focusing on today. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, who is John referring to when he mentions his children? It's not biological children, is it? John is talking about his spiritual children, people like Gaius, who he led to faith in Jesus. Gaius is a spiritual son to John. And ever since that day when Gaius decided to follow Jesus, he's kept the faith. He's followed through on his commitment to serve Jesus and live for Him. And John is not merely pleased about this. He's not just happy. 
John says, nothing in life gives me more joy than this. Now, if you're a parent, you can probably relate to that sentiment. Uh, When I was little, I couldn't imagine anything better than being a kid on Christmas morning. It gave me so much joy to open all those presents and get all those toys. As an adult, though, I've learned something. I've learned that as much as I loved opening presents as a kid, I get more joy from watching my children open their presents. Christmas is better now than when I was a kid. Parents understand this, and teachers do too. If you're a teacher, you probably appreciate it when someone recognizes you and gives you the credit that you deserve. But what's even more gratifying is when you see a student experience some kind of breakthrough. They they grasp a difficult concept for the first time, and their face just lights up, and then you get to celebrate what they accomplished. And you actually get more joy from their success than you get from yours. So in this verse, John is having a similar experience, but his joy goes beyond watching a child open presents or learn math. John is experiencing the joy of seeing his spiritual children walk in the truth. So you know what's next, right? Now we have to ask, well, what is that? What is John talking about? What does it mean to walk in the truth? Well, John wrote a lot about truth, not just here, but also in other books of the Bible. For example, he wrote the Gospel of John, which describes the life and the ministry of Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, John wrote down a quote from Jesus. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, there's a lot we could say about that statement. But did you catch the part in the middle there? Jesus says, I am the truth. He didn't say, I know the truth or I speak the truth. He said, I am the truth. And he didn't say, I am a truth or I am one of many truths. He said, I am the truth. So based on this verse here, Jesus is the embodiment of God's truth. And when we want to know what is real and what is true, we don't have to look for some abstract idea. We can just look to Jesus. The truth centers on Jesus. And if that's true, how can we walk in the truth? Well, one idea would be that we just follow the example and the teaching of Jesus. And that's a pretty good idea, but it's not quite that simple because, unfortunately, we don't have the ability to follow Jesus. We can't follow His example and His teachings perfectly because He's perfect and and we're not. We've all violated God's truth because we've all sinned. And when we sinned, we broke our relationship with God. We put ourselves in line for death and punishment. That's what we deserve. But this is the great news of the gospel. We can be restored to God even though we never measured up to His truth. And how is that possible? It's only possible because Jesus gave His life on the cross. He died in our place, and He opened a way for us to get back to God. So we can be forgiven. We can be restored when we begin a life-changing relationship with Jesus. In other words, we encounter God's truth when we come to know Jesus. 
But then once that happens, once you begin that life-changing relationship, God has a plan that you will follow through and that you will live like Jesus. Listen to something else John wrote. This time we're reading from 1 John chapter 2. And in that chapter, John says, We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, Jesus, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. So we just discovered a third part of what it means to walk in the truth, and it's pretty simple, really. When we walk in God's truth, we keep His commands. We, we need to live as Jesus did and do what Jesus told us to do. And you might say, hey, I, I thought we didn't have the ability to follow the example of Jesus and obey all of His commands. Yeah, that's true. But once you come to that relationship with Jesus, God gives His Holy Spirit. He enables us to follow the commands of Jesus more and more as time goes by. But now let's make sure we don't get confused here. We have to keep all of this in the right order. We don't obey God's commands in order to earn His approval or keep His approval. That's what other religions tell you, but that's not the gospel. Here's what's unique about the gospel of Jesus. In other religions, I obey in order to be accepted by God. It's up to me. It's up to my performance to try and make the cut. But that's not the message of Christianity. We are not saved by our own works. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And if that's true, well, then why do I have to obey? Well, once I have a relationship with Jesus, I obey in response to being accepted by God. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. I'm thanking God for my salvation. I'm expressing my love and my gratitude. And, and by the way, obedience is God's love language. So if you love God, if you appreciate what Jesus has done for you, you want to obey because that's what God wants. Now let's get back to 3 John and this great joy, and let's ask a different question. Why does John have so much joy when he sees his spiritual children walking in the truth? Why does that make him so happy? Well, John's reasons aren't unique to him. This applies to anyone who is a spiritual parent. This is for anyone who has led someone else to faith in Jesus, whether that's your child or a friend or whoever. So let's look at two reasons why we might rejoice when someone is walking in God's truth. First, it's why we're created. You know, we talk about this a lot. My life is not about me. Your life is not about you. We don't exist for ourselves all of us were created so that we can bring glory to God. And when we obey Him, that's what happens. We bring Him glory. Think about a tool that, that's doing what it was made to do. A hammer, for instance. Uh, you know, there's something satisfying about seeing a hammer used as a hammer because it's doing what it was made to do. It's reflecting the purpose and the design and the craftsmanship of its maker. On the other side, though, there is nothing satisfying about seeing a toaster used as a hammer. That's ridiculous. That's kind of painful to watch. But 
this, this principle applies to us as well. When you see someone walking in God's truth, it's encouraging. It's exciting because you're seeing a person do what they were born to do. So that's one reason why John or any other spiritual parent would rejoice. But there's a second reason, and it's this. Walking in truth is also what's best for us. We, we know that God wants us to obey His commands, right? But why does He want that? Is it because He just likes telling us what to do? Well, even if that is the case, we have no reason to complain. God has every right to tell us what to do. After all, He is God. But there's more to the story. See, God is good, and His commands are good, all of them. They they reflect His design for the world. And then on top of that, God loves us. So when He tells us to live in a certain way, part of what's going on is He wants what is best for us. That's always been the case. That's, that's always been what God has wanted, going all the way back to the beginning. God's commands have always been for our own good. Listen to what Moses said to the nation of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Moses said, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. So yeah, God is powerful. He has every right to tell us what to do because He's the ultimate authority in the universe, but His commands are always for our own good. They match up with how He designed this world and how He designed life to work. So, you know what that means? That means life works better when you do things God's way. God is happy when we're walking in His truth, and others will be happy when we walk in His truth because we're walking into God's blessings. I said earlier that this statement may seem kind of basic or simplistic, but here's the thing. We may understand this statement intellectually, we may agree with it as a general principle, but the problem starts when we get into situations where we don't want to do what God wants us to do, or we act like we know better than He does. See, in certain areas of our lives, we don't want to hear God's commands or His instructions And this is a problem for all of us. No one is exempt from this tendency. That's why the book of Proverbs tells us we have to fight this tendency. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, whenever you think you know better than God, think again. It goes on, In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will make your paths straight. See that last part there? When you surrender to God's plan, He will make your path straight. He knows what will bring blessing into your life, and He's going to lead you in that direction. Now, I'm not implying that God will take away all of your problems if you do things His way. Uh, Like I said, a, a hailstorm can still take out your crop of corn, even if you did everything right. But what I am saying is this, in general, with all other things being equal, Life works better when you walk in God's truth. So that's our big life hack for today. Follow God's commands, follow His advice, and blessing will flow out of that. 
But you know what? Up to this point, I've only been speaking in generalities. I've mentioned that God has commands and instructions for us, but I haven't gotten specific at all. So in order to see this principle come to life, we need to itemize a little bit. And this is where you may start to feel some tension. Uh, This is where we start to see our way come into conflict with God's way. Now, we can look all over the Bible to see God's instructions for our lives, but I just read a couple of verses from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is great because it is full of God's wisdom for everyday life. Reading Proverbs is, is kind of like letting God be your personal life coach. So I'm going to read a few examples of God's wisdom from Proverbs. And I'll just warn you, some of these things may be difficult for you to hear. You may find yourself wanting to lean on your own understanding, but let's go ahead and make a decision right now. Let's choose to trust God because we know that life works better when we do things God's way, when we walk in His truth. So for the first example, let's hear what God has to say about our work. You ever stop and think about how much of your life you spend at your job? On average, Work takes up about 90,000 hours of a person's life. So do you think God has some instructions for how we should live during those 90,000 hours? Of course He does. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4 says this, A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. So you know what a sluggard is, right? A sluggard is a person who is habitually lazy. A sluggard would love to get paid for taking naps and playing video games. According to this verse, though, a sluggard is going to struggle in this life. Why? Well, because God has designed this world to to work in a certain way. In this world, hard work pays off. So a, a sluggard will have a hard time making enough money to cover their basic needs. And in most cases... A diligent, hardworking person will be fully satisfied. Their needs will be met. And it is possible that some of us may need to hear this proverb. We may have some sluggards in the room today, but in my experience, most people I know around here work pretty hard. And that means you and God may be totally on the same page so far. But let's read another proverb. Uh, let's, Let's read... Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, which says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. So now we're coming at this from a different angle, aren't we? You may be the furthest thing in the world from a sluggard, but laziness is not the only way to get into trouble. You can also cause all kinds of problems just by being a workaholic. You can give the best years of your life and the greatest part of your devotion to a job, a job that will never love you back. And in the meantime, some very important relationships in your life may suffer as you overemphasize your work or your career. So ask yourself if God is trying to get your attention right now. Do you need to get your priorities straight? See, the truth is, God has something to say to all of us, and He may be telling you to make some changes in this area of work. And if we take the combined messages of these two Proverbs, 
we got ourselves another life hack. And here's how we could say it. Don't be idle in your work, but don't make work your idol either. I'm telling you, getting this right is a lot more beneficial than using a straw to remove the stems of your strawberries. But let's move on to another category. We talked about work, but what does God have to say about our finances? You know, I've noticed something over the years. For some people, money is the most sensitive topic we ever discuss at church. And I do my best to remember that this can be a difficult subject, but at the same time, the Bible has so much to say about our finances, I just wouldn't be doing my job if I never brought it up. That would be ministerial malpractice. So let's look at a couple of Proverbs where God tells us how to handle money. The first one is Proverbs 11.25, which says, A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And, and that really doesn't sound so bad, does it? God wants us to be generous. He tells us a generous person will prosper. So that's part of His design. You will be blessed if you share what you have, if you live with an open hand instead of a closed fist. Now, my guess is that most of us here today, we've experienced this. You can probably remember a time when you made a conscious decision to be generous, to to give to a particular person or a particular need. But then what was the result when you did that? Did you regret it later? Or, or, Or did you run out of money to buy groceries? Probably not. I bet you were blessed and you were refreshed because you made a positive difference in this world, in someone else's life. We've all experienced this because the principle works. A generous person will prosper. But now, let's take it up a notch. Let's go to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Listen to this. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So in this goal of becoming a more generous person, Proverbs tells us where to start. You start by honoring the Lord. This idea of first fruits, it comes from the Old Testament, and it's the pattern of giving to God first, before you pay the other bills, before you buy whatever you want to buy. So here's what you don't do. You don't say, well, let's see how the bank account looks at the end of the month, and we'll see if we have anything left over for God. No, honoring the Lord with your first fruits is when you say, God, we trust you. We trust that you will provide what we need, so we're going to give to you first. Now, there's a lot we can say about this. We can get into tithing and percentages and all that, but for today, I'll just tell you this. In my adult life, and especially since my wife and I have been married, we've honestly had fun trying to outgive God. I'm serious. Every time that we've stretched and given more than we ever have before, we find ourselves being more blessed than ever before. Now, just to be clear, I'm not advocating some kind of prosperity gospel here. And over the years, certain preachers have twisted Scripture trying to manipulate people, like if you give X, then God will give you Y. That's not what we're talking about here. We're just agreeing with God's Word. He's given us a principle He says, a generous person will prosper. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life again and again. 
So here's our life hack for finances today. Make generosity a habit and start by giving back to God. Okay, very quickly, let's look at just one more category, our speech. What does God say about what we say? Well, we could spend a whole sermon on this topic, and we probably should, but let's look at just two more Proverbs. First, I'll read Proverbs 13.3. It says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. So, watch what you say, because if you don't, you're headed for trouble. Speak carefully. Use restraint. I want you to imagine uh, someone following you around for a week, listening to everything you say, tracking, to the, com- tracking the comments that you make online, counting up the number of times you talk bad about someone behind their back. If this person followed you around for a week, do you think they would use the word restraint to describe your speech? If not, be careful because we have another principle here. Speaking rashly will ruin you. You can destroy friendships. You will burn bridges. You can crush the spirit of someone you love all because you opened your mouth and said something you shouldn't have said. Another proverb on this subject is chapter 15, verse 1, and this one says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So this is not only about what we say, but how we say it. And for some reason, this proverb makes me think of marriage. How many times in marriage do we unnecessarily let an argument escalate and get personal and vindictive? How many times do we let our emotions run the show and we start attacking our spouse instead of attacking the problem? You know, it doesn't have to be like that. When we handle a conversation God's way, we can solve problems instead of making them worse. We can speak life into others instead of tearing them down. So here's the life hack related to our speech. Instead of saying whatever you want, however you want, speak carefully and with kindness. It's a simple idea, but it goes a long way toward building healthy relationships. So we've covered a lot of ground today. We've talked about this general life hack that says life works better when you walk in God's truth. We also talked about these life hacks that apply to specific areas of life. And really, this whole series is a reminder that we have some very practical reasons to obey God and do things His way. Should we obey God because it's what we're created to do? Absolutely. Should we obey God because it's a way to express our love and our gratitude for His grace? Absolutely. But we can also obey God because it's a better way to live. Our decisions can harmonize with God's design for this world. So yeah, if you want miniature corn that's totally inedible, go ahead, grow it in a flower box. But if you want your corn to thrive, plant it based on the way God designed the world. And this is true across the board. If you want to deprive yourself of God's blessings, then yeah, lean on your own understanding. 
But if you want to thrive in your relationships and in your finances, if you want to thrive in the deepest part of your soul, then trust in the Lord with all your heart and do things His way. Walk in God's truth. It's not only good for you, it's a way to give joy to everyone who cares about you. Let's pray. Father, we look to you today because we know that you have a wisdom that is far, far greater than ours. There's so many ways that uh, our decisions or our inclinations would lead us down a, a bad path or a dangerous path. But help us, Lord, to be humble, to remember that your way is always the best way, even if we don't get it, even if it's not necessarily what we want. Help us to be humble and surrender to you and your will. I pray that you will enable us to, to follow your commands, to follow the example of Jesus so that we can bring glory to you and so that we can lead others to you. And Father, if there's someone here right now who has not begun that life-changing relationship with you through your Son, I pray that you will just make it clear to them that it's time to take that step. I pray that you'll give the, them the boldness to do that and, and then walk in your truth. I pray that for all of us. I know that will give you joy and, and many others joy as well. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.